So tonight we're going to be talking about something um, that many of us have heard before, many times before. Um, in fact, if you were at church this morning, you would have heard the message from Shabu, and without even knowing it, me and Shabu accidentally chose the same passage to preach on. And so we'll be doing Ephesians 2 again. So we're going to put a survey up on the Facebook page later, and you can vote for your favorite preacher, um, just to check. Just kidding. But many of us do hear this often. Uh, as believers, we, and some of us not believers, we still hear this message often. And so the temptation tonight is going to be to switch off, to think, I know this, I've heard it before, I've got this. But we need to remember that this message is the most powerful, life-changing message that's ever been told, that's ever been spoken. And yet... It is one of the most misunderstood and most easily forgotten message. Time and time again, we forget the truths of the gospel. And I think one of the most dangerous things that's happened in the Christian circle is that we think that the gospel is just for saving us in that one moment. And so we've become a Christian now. We don't really need to focus on the gospel so much. We need to start focusing on trying to be good trying to be a good Christian. But there's no moving on from the gospel. The gospel is the start and the finish, beginning and the end. We always need to be rooted in what Christ has done for us. And so I invite you now to quickly pray for yourselves and to pray for me now as we begin. Heavenly Father, we... We want you to speak tonight. Um, Yeah, Lord, I just pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit within me and within um, this room that you'll be working in people's hearts, helping them to see the truth of the gospel, helping them to be able to examine each other and ourselves and, and where we're at with this message. And so I just pray, Lord, that you'll glorify your name through what is spoken today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to the book of Ephesians. Uh, It'll be up on the screen as well, if you can see that. That's where we're going to focus our attention. And if you're not from Canterbury Gardens here, we've actually been going through this book as a church for the last few weeks. And some some of you will know this, but the book of Ephesians is written by the Apostle Paul. And he wrote it to a a group of churches in a place called Ephesus. And these churches existed in a place that was really difficult a culture that was very much against what they believed, that attacked them often and wanted them to come back to their ways. Much like our culture today, it was against the gospel and against Christ. And so tonight what we're going to do is we're going to focus on the first half of this book, kind of like a mini overview of the first half of Ephesians and talk about what the gospel is what it means to be captured by the gospel. And then we're going to go to the second half at the next service and focus on what does the gospel look like being lived out in a community. And so Ephesians chapter 2. But before we get into it tonight, I want to tell you a story. A true story. A true story of a lady who I have a lot of respect for. This lady right here. Not many of you will know who this is. This is actually my great nana, um, or as I knew her, Nana Crawford. 
And I want to share a little bit of her story because I think it relates a lot to what we're talking about tonight. My nana was born on the 2nd of April 1903 in a place called Cowdenbeath, which is in Scotland. I probably completely stuffed that up, but that's all right. She grew up in a difficult time. Um, not too long after, you know, in her time was World War I, and, and, and this was a different time, a time where people struggled a lot. Many people didn't really get by, and those who did were just scraping by, and so it was a difficult life, a difficult upbringing. She was able to go to church as a, as a young girl, but never really made a commitment to God. And her life just kind of went along, and, and it was up until the age of 24 when something happened that completely changed the direction of her life. She met a young man named Adam. This man was not a believer, and, and looking back on her life, Nana said that she wouldn't have married this guy if she had known God as she should have in that time. But she was in love, and so she married this man, and, and things began reasonably well. They had a daughter together shortly after being married, and her name was called Irene. The first couple of years was okay. It was a bit difficult. Irene had some difficulties with her health, but she was okay, and she began to grow, and, and not long after, they decided to have another girl. Her name was June. However, when Irene was two and June was three months old, things started to go downhill. My nana found out that Adam, her husband, had been cheating on her, had been with another woman and for quite some time. But my nana knew that in the Bible it said you should forgive seven times, 70 times, and so she forgave because she loved him. But things only grew steadily worse as he became abusive towards her and often was violent and hit her. But she still stuck it out despite these things because she loved him. But things got worse and worse. And so in the end, she did decide to seek a divorce. She got the paperwork, she presented it to him, but he begged her. He said, I'm going to change. It's not going to be the same. And it wasn't. For two years, it was okay. Until one evening, he exploded again and hit her so hard, she got knocked over a chair. But she still couldn't bring herself to leave. She felt trapped. This continued for another six years, and such was the trial of it and the difficulty of this situation. And then one evening, everything came to a heading. On June's 11th birthday, they had some friends over for dinner and, um, and my nana walked them home after dinner. When she returned, she came home to a devastating scene. Her eldest daughter, she found, had been abused sexually by her husband. This was a step too far. Such was the pain and agony she was feeling. She records these words in her testimony. On that Sunday night, Adam committed a sin I couldn't forgive him for at that time. And I guess I would have been a murderer, but for the word of the Lord that was upon me that night. I went to get the hammer, but I couldn't find it. I looked for the poker, but I couldn't find that. By the grace of God, he kept me from preventing a crime. Such was the rage, such was the hurt that Nana felt that she wanted to hurt him. She wanted to kill him for the pain that he had caused. 
Shortly after he left her with two children, no money, no job, and no way to live. A hopeless situation. She came back inside shortly after this all happened when he had gone, and she records these words. I made hot milk and gave the girls their aspirins to get them to sleep. I didn't know what to do as I sat between the two beds, Irene in one side, June on the other, and I began to think I couldn't face the world without him. And I hadn't the health to work for my children, and I couldn't face my parents, so I began to think that there was only one way out, only one way to take our lives. I knew it was wrong to take our lives, but I couldn't leave my children, so there was only one way. It was gas. I was going to have to gas myself and my children. So I went about shutting the windows, putting damper in, down in the fireplace. I had everything prepared for what I knew I had to do, my only way out. We're going to just leave this hanging here for a minute and come back to it at the end. But what I want to ask the question tonight is, what, what causes these situations to happen? What causes a a man to commit such acts and a woman to be in such pain that she feels like there's no hope? But take a step back from that. What causes so many terrible things to happen in this world, to be so much pain and hardship and things going wrong? What causes that? Well, the Bible actually answers this question as it answers all the major questions in life. And the passage we're looking at today answers that question. So looking at Ephesians, we're going to start at chapter 2, and we're going to begin to see Paul give a diagnosis of humanity. Here's what it says, Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so these verses kind of have humanity looking into a mirror. And it concludes that there's two things about humanity that is wrong. The first thing is, it says, we were dead. Not the most flattering first description you want of humanity. We were dead. And then it gives three reasons why. Because if you're going to say someone's dead, we have to, it leads us to the question of why. Why were we dead? And the next verses go on to give us three reasons why we are dead. The first one you'll see in that first verse, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And so it talks about sin. But I want to ask the question, what? is sin, because I think in Christian land we often throw around this word of sin, but I think many of us don't actually understand what sin is. And so to give us a really clear example of of sin and and what it means, we're going to go back to the very beginning, back to the story in Genesis. When God created the world perfectly, he made people perfectly, a perfect world for them to dwell in, and yet something happened. Something changed everything. And we read in verse three, chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent, who was far more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made, he said to the woman, 
Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, No, we we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And so we kind of see here that that God had made this perfect world and he gave humanity one rule to follow. Don't eat the fruit from the tree. But what did they do? They rejected God's idea and decided to make themselves God. To say to God, I'm a better God than you. I want to go this way. They rejected God as the only one who could make a true, someone truly wise and they decided to go to something else to make them wise. They chose themselves and their way more than the God who created all things. And so from this, God, this point, God pronounces punishment, condemnation on them, saying that they deserve death. But you might be thinking to yourself, well, is that really worth death? I mean, they made one mistake. Surely God's more compassionate than that. But the thing is, what we forget about sin is the greatness of a sin is really only measured by the greatness of the one who is sinned against. Think of it this way. Imagine you were walking down the street one day and you just walked up to a random person and slapped them in the face. What would happen? Well, depending on who you slapped, you'd either get abused and yelled at or you would probably get punched back. But aside from that, probably nothing too extreme would happen. Okay, but imagine now you're walking down the street the next day and you see a police officer and you walk up to them and you pick one of them out and you slap them in the face. What's going to happen? Probably they're going to tackle you to the ground, like on cops, and be way too aggressive, and then arrest you and take you to jail. And you'll spend probably a fairly lengthy time in jail for assaulting a police officer. Imagine now if you went up to the President of the United States. Now, I realise some of you might like to slap him in the face, but that's beside the point. If you did, you would probably end up in jail for life. And if you slap the king or the queen of some of the countries in the world, you'd be put instantly to death. So even on a human level, we can see that the same sin committed against different types of people is worthy of a different punishment. But now imagine doing this. Imagine walking up to the creator of all things, the one who is deserving of nothing but praise, the one who has never made a mistake, who never will, who gives you the muscles in your body strength and slapping him in the face and saying, I know better than you. I'm a better God than you. I know how to live my life. I don't need you. Well, that's what every single person in this room has done. Every single person who has ever lived has done that to God and said, I know better. My way is better. And so this is the first point that Paul's trying to make. We were dead, why? Because we didn't only just do that once, we were walking, this was our lifestyle. We were continually walking in rejection of what God wanted in our own ways. 
And so the first point is, why are we dead? Because we were walking in our sins. And secondly, not only were we dead, but secondly it says, says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So we were following someone other than God. It says the prince of the power of the air. It's kind of a weird term. Like, I don't know, it's not used very much in the Bible, but what it actually is referring to here is the devil, Satan, the evil one. And it says we were following him. And you see that clearly in the story that we were just seeing because Eve didn't just decide by herself that she was going to do the wrong thing. Someone enticed her, the snake. He said, did God really say that? He made us question God. And it says that we've been following him. And, and don't be fooled, the evil one is behind every single bad thing that happens in this world. He has a plan and his plan is to do anything he can to oppose who God is. And we've all been following his voice. And often he says things that sound kind of true. You notice in that story he didn't just blatantly lie. He kind of told the truth, kind of told a lie. And that's what he does to us. He says, no, you don't need God that much. You you can just look within yourself. You can actually do it yourself. You don't need God. Or maybe just keep God at church on Sunday because you need to actually live your own life. So we've been dead in the sins we're walking in, following the voice of the evil one. And thirdly, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So thirdly, we were all living in the passions of our flesh. Ever since Adam and Eve made that decision to to follow the evil one, to, to sin against God, it was like there was this disease that was passed on to every single person who was born. Everyone in human history has had this disease, this pollution that naturally makes us want to rebel against God. And we, we all know what this is like. I mean, it sounds weird, but think about your life. I mean, think about when you're driving along the road and you see a sign that says 50. What do you want to do? I mean, really, 55, it's pretty close to 50. That's okay. What about if you see a sign that says, don't walk on the grass? What do we want to do instantly? Come on, everyone in this room wants to do that. We want to walk on the grass because no one tells me what to do. We see it in, in babies. Like, I don't know, there's not heaps of you in this room who have children, I don't think, but I've seen children, and they can be pretty horrible. Like, I see them bite and fight each other, and, like, I'm pretty sure that most of the parents in their room didn't teach their children to bite each other. I'm guessing your friends weren't over and you just started biting each other as parents. Like, it would be unusual. But your children learned that. Where did they learn that from? Children are born and everything is about them. They're sinful little humans and they want everything to be about them. <laughs> Dad, Dad's saying that because of me. But it's no joke. This is where we see sin already working out. And we're actually the same as adults. We just learn to hide our 
making it all about me a little better. We don't chuck as many open tantrums. We just kind of do things around the back, still chucking our own inward tantrums and making life all about us. And so we see the flesh in us working against God. And so this concludes, why were we dead? One, walking in our sins. Two, following the evil one. And three, listening to our flesh, the desires of our body and our mind and disregarding God. And the final nail in the coffin, verse 3 says, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now this term wrath probably isn't something that you that sounds good to you, uh, something you probably feel a little uncomfortable associating with God. But the reality is because of these things, God was wrathful against us. Why? It's not because God just wants to destroy humanity. No, what happens is God has to be against evil. He hates sin. He hates evil. And what happened when we sinned against God, when all of us have sinned against God, we became sin. We became what God hated, and he can't accept that. He has to be against that. And so we were children of wrath. And so that kind of concludes the diagnosis of humanity. Dead, walking in sins, following the evil one, obeying our flesh, and therefore children of wrath, like everyone else who's ever lived. This is the reason why everything is as bad as it is in the world. This is the reason behind every sinful thing that has happened. It's pretty bad news. But thank God this is not the end of the story. Thank God that there's another verse after this. And so I invite you to read what happens. What does God do about this situation? Reading in Ephesians 2.4, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So I don't know if you can see this, but something incredible is happening here. It says God loved us even when we were dead. Like, do you, can you get your head around how amazing that is when we talk about what we just spoke about, that God still loved us in that moment? And he did something about it. He made us alive, it says. He made us alive in Christ. So what, what does that actually mean? Because this verse doesn't really actually say how we were made alive. It just said we were made alive together with Christ. And so we're going to jump over to Colossians where he says a very similar thing, but he kind of puts on the end the reason why. So Colossians 2.13 says this, And you were dead, same as before, in your, in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, Another way of saying, obeying the flesh. God made alive together with him, that's Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How? By cancelling the record of the debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So you see, something huge is happening here. 
because we had sinned against God, because of all those things that were true of us, a debt had to be paid. God said that the punishment for sin was death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. And Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. So point one, he made us alive by paying the debt of our sin. But I don't know about you, but, but why? Like, why did there have to be a payment? And this has bothered me in the past with being a Christian because it seems so gruesome and not the best thing that we had to have a saviour dying on a cross, this brutal death. And you'll hear it from, I don't know if you've heard it from friends, you'll hear, why did Jesus have to die? They'll actually reject Christianity because they'll say, I'd rather serve a God who always forgives me. I'd rather serve a God who loves me unconditionally and, and just can put my sin away. But there's a big problem with this. Because it just, this doesn't work. It doesn't even work on a human level. Why? Because of justice. And we actually all understand this as well. Imagine, imagine this situation. Someone comes into your house in the middle of the night and murders your whole family. Not a very good situation to imagine. But imagine that happened. What would then take place? The police caught the person. Would you just go, no, 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 just let him go. It's all good. It doesn't need punishment. It's fine. It's all good. No, that's not what would happen. What would happen would be he would go to court, he'd face a jury, and he'd receive life in prison. Because even we can see that a sin deserves payment of life. And how outraged would we be if the judge, as he was standing before, just said, it's all good, let him go. We would be like, no, that's not just. And this is why God can't just wave his hand and say it's all good because that would make him an evil God who does not take sin seriously, who lets it go. But he can't do that. He must punish sin because it is against everything that he is for. Sin is life-taking and he is life-giving. And so there had to be a punishment Ultimately, what people are saying when they say they want a God who will just forgive is they're saying they, they want a God who will let me do whatever I want. They want a God who just will say, go, do anything, and it's all good. But it's contradictory because we know and love justice. Everyone here loves justice. Think about all the, the shows you watch and the things you... We love justice. We love when someone gets what they deserve. But we just don't love it when it happens to us. A quote by Tim Keller sums this up perfectly. Here's what he says. A God who just forgives is not a holy God. A God who won't forgive is not a loving God. A God who can't forgive is not a wise God because he doesn't know how to satisfy both love and justice. But in Jesus hanging on the cross, we see this beautiful coming together of both justice, because he's dealing with the problems in our hearts, he's dealing with sin, he's pouring out his judgment on the perfect one, Jesus, and love, because he's doing it and taking it upon himself. He had no obligation to do that, but he did it. So love and justice come together. And this is why Christianity 
is the true way. Because only here do we see love and justice come together in such an amazing way. That's why there had to be a punishment. That's why this is the only way. And so Jesus firstly paid for our sins. He took upon himself all the guilt, all the sins, all the messiness upon himself. And he died with it paying the price, burying it so we would never see it again. That those who believed in Jesus could have their sins and their record completely wiped away. But it doesn't end here. Reading on back in Ephesians, here's what it says. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now I want to stress this because I think this is the part of the gospel that we often forget. Because we spend so much time focusing on the death of Jesus, which is good. We need to do that. But sometimes we forget to come to the other side. That he didn't stay dead. He rose again. And not only did he take our sin, not only did he forgive us of our sin, but he also gave us new life. Gave us his perfect life. Not only did he forgive us by dying, but he gave us new life in Christ. And this is so important to know because it gives us all the more hope. And this is what Ephesians 1 is all about. Listen to some of these things from Ephesians chapter 1. We are chosen in Christ. We are holy. We are blameless. We are redeemed. We are adopted. We are forgiven. We have received the Holy Spirit. We have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Elsewhere in Scripture, it says we have become ambassadors for God. We have been given a mission for to reconcile and give the message to other people that they may come to know God. It's so much more than just forgiveness, so much more than just cleaning away our debt. It's giving us new life, giving us his perfect life. That's why this verse can say it's seated us with him. The only way we can be seated with him right now, if you're a believer in Jesus, is because he's given you his perfect life. That's the great exchange that took place here. And this gospel, this good news is for anyone who believes in Jesus. There's no amount of mess, no one in this room has more mess than what Jesus can cover. I mean, you can't get much more dead than dead. If you're dead, you're dead, and you can't get more messy than that. And so God can take you through Jesus. Only this message has the power to change lives. It's changed my life. It's changed many lives in this room. But only this message has that power. Only the gospel can change your life. Only Jesus, when you look upon him, can change your life. And it, this message also changed my nana's life. I just want to pick up her story again, just as she'd prepared everything to gas herself and her children, here's what she says. 
It was about midnight, and suddenly Irene awoke. And she said, go and pray, Mummy, go and pray. And I felt so desperate, I got my Bible and opened it, hoping just to please her. Then I started to read Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, our very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, I will not fear, though the mountains be carried into the sea. Then the Lord was beginning to get through to me, and this next bit struck home. God is in the midst of her. God will help her. I stopped and I began to think, and Irene said, Is that all? Is that all? Keep reading. Then I read till I came to the 10th verse. Be still and know that I am God. Then came the light, and I knew I couldn't do what I intended to do. God's grace showed up in this moment. God's grace enabled her to see his goodness. You know, my great-nana passed away when she was 92, so I was only about six years old, but every single memory I have of her is that she just radiated joy. She was such a thankful lady for everything she had. She made jokes and she just radiated this joy, and I still remember it to this day. I would never have guessed that these things happened in her life. Only the gospel does that. Only the gospel brings a person from that position to a place of joy and thankfulness. That's the power of the gospel. And so the question for tonight is, have we been captured by that gospel? Have we come to a place where we've realized that our whole life is about this message? That there is no other way. Have you been captured by this gospel? And so I want to close tonight by challenging the different types of people in this room. There's three types of people in this room tonight. There's those of you in this room who aren't Christians, who would say to people you're not Christians, who would not live like a Christian. And I just want to say to you that Jesus is the only way. You need to stop running and following your own desires, a life centered upon you, and you need to come to Jesus, and he will accept you. And then there's those of you in this room who would call yourselves Christians. Those of you who perhaps have grown up in church and have heard this message many times before, but have never actually come to a true understanding that this is what life is all about. And let me just say to you that none of your going to church, none of your going to Bible studies, none of those things makes any difference before a God who you're dead before. Only Christ makes that difference. So maybe you're here, maybe you've never actually reached that moment where you've understood that God has made a way for you through Jesus. And the message is the same for you. Come to him and he will accept you. Believe in him, turn from those things and follow him. And finally, there's probably the majority of us in this room, those who do believe in Christ, those who have come to a moment where we've realized the gospel is the most important thing. Well, the reminder for us is that to come back to this truth. There's never a moment where we don't need to come back to this truth to know just how much God did for us. 
So maybe you're in a place as a believer where you feel like God's abandoned you. You feel like God's left you. I know some mornings I just wake up and I feel unworthy. I feel guilty. But it's not the truth. We need to remember that Christ took away all our punishment, all our sin upon himself, and gave us his perfect life and seated us with him in the heavenly places. That's done. That's finished. For those of you who know Jesus, come back to that truth because I can guarantee the struggles you have in life come from a place where we're not believing this truth, where we're not believing the gospel enough, and we're not realizing how much it means that we've been adopted, that we've been given a new family, that we've been redeemed and forgiven completely, and been given a mission that God will work through us. Only the gospel can do this. Come to Jesus and receive life. I'm going to pray, but just if you've been challenged by tonight's talk, I want to challenge you not to just let it, let it go, but to, to share with one another, to, to talk about what God's doing in your life through this amazing message. And if you're someone who have come to realize this truth, then please come chat. Please talk to someone about it. Please keep seeking, perhaps if you're not really convinced of this at this stage. The answer is the same for us all. The gospel can save and set us free. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we can't express to you how thankful we are for these verses thankful because you did something about the state of our hearts. You did something about the fact that we were dead, that we were walking in our sins, that we were obeying the evil one, that we were listening to our flesh and that we were under wrath. But you did something. You sent your son. We thank you for that, Lord. Forgive us for when we forget, when we forget what you've done, when we wallow in self-pity when we get stuck in places where we feel unworthy help us to run to you in that time help us to run back to you and lord i just pray that um, you continue to work in our lives and make yourself glorified through all that we do we just want to pray this in your name jesus amen